Welcome to Calvary Chapel Sebastian Podcast. We hope that you're blessed by this message. We welcome everybody listening to us on the podcast channel, and I've got some great news. I just got a call from production. If you missed a weekend, you can now go to our website, and you can hear our weekend teachings by any of us, our pastors, so go on there, check it out, and uh, enjoy that. That's great news, and just another way that we can get out in the community here as we continue to change some things here, but welcome if you're listening to us, whether you're on the website or on the podcast, and we're glad that you're here. Turn to chapter uh, or Exodus chapter 6, and the title of the teaching tonight is Purpose for Plagues. Purpose for Plagues. You ever think about that, church? Now, now maybe some of you never encountered the story of the the plagues, uh, and maybe some of you really know a lot about the plagues or some of the plagues, but this will be a great refresher. We're going to go very quickly. I wish I could have broken it down plague by plague because there is so much to glean when you look into the Word of God, but we'll go a quick review, quick overview of this. But what was the purpose of of plagues. Because if you're thinking about plagues, you're thinking pandemic. This is totally different, okay? This is this is something that God intentionally sent to the Egyptians because Pharaoh was not following God. And you know that Pharaoh had the Israelites enslaved for how many years, Bible study people? 400 years, right? And so it is time for God to free his chosen people, the Israelites, but Pharaoh is mighty and powerful and he's over the whole entire uh, uh, community, uh, Egypt. And he has, you have to understand the backdrop with this story is that the Egyptians did not worship the one true God. They worshiped many gods, thousands of gods, gods, little g gods, Little G goddesses, and everything was represented. If you're drinking a cup of coffee, they worship, there was probably a God over the coffee. There was God over, and you know, some of us build an idol in that. Who knows? You know, we like our coffee. But they worshiped these gods, and they would not acknowledge God. And so this is what we're dealing with, okay? And let's just be honest. Pharaoh was building a mighty city, and who did he use to build it? God's people, right? And so... What is the purpose of plagues? Is it to punish mankind? Is it, can God punish us now? Is that what he's into? Like, hey, I'm bored. Let's punish my Christians. Because after all, they were his chosen people, weren't they? And you're like, well, they lived in Egypt. So when he punished Egypt, wouldn't it be like they're all being punished? Kind of like if you get pulled over in a car. Do you ever get pulled over for driving fast? Don't answer that. You're in church. And if you're driving too fast and Sebastian's finest pulls you over, who else suffers that stall and delay in where you're going? Your family, if they're with you, right? And so this is what you're thinking about this story. It's like, well, God's people were there and he's enforcing all these plagues on them. But you're gonna see that in the midst of adversity, in the midst of him sending these plagues, we're gonna see how powerful and how spectacular and sovereign our God is because he is going to protect the people. We'll see that and I'll point that out for you. So are you excited for tonight's study? This is gonna be good. But I do, I do say drink your coffee, we're gonna go through fast, all right? I wanna pick up where Pastor Craig left off last week and it's up on the screen, it's found in Exodus Six And I believe that by the end of the study, we're going to answer what is the purpose for the plagues. That's what I want to answer. And hopefully the scripture will show us this so that we can walk away knowing. 
Now in Exodus 6, 6, it says, then the Lord said to Moses, now you will see what I will do to Pharaoh. Because of my mighty hand, he will let them go. Because of my mighty hand, he will drive them out of his country. So what is going on here? God is having a conversation with Moses. This is what God is saying to Moses. This is the promise that God is going to say to Moses, like, I'm calling you to do something, and this is what I will do in the midst of your assignment. And so God knows who Pharaoh is. God knows his power. God knows that he's not following him. But also, God is reminding Moses in this 6-6, he's saying, hey, I'm a bigger God. I've got this, Moses. You don't have to worry. And you see that Moses goes back and forth. He's like, why should I go to the Pharaoh? I stutter, and he gives all these excuses. And God's like, hold on a minute. I'm gonna take, you're going to go with, Aaron's going to be with you this whole assignment, right? And I was thinking about that. What did Jesus do when he sent the disciples out? He sent them in what? Two by two. And so it's really cool how you see this reference of Jesus sending his disciples out two by two, and we go all the way back to the Old Testament where he sends Moses and Aaron. And he says, you're going to accomplish mighty works because I'm with you and I'm empowering you, and you're going to do it in twos. What about you tonight? Are you doing life alone? Do you have somebody in this church body that you love, trust, and would give your life over for? Do you have somebody that you can call up at 2 a.m. and go, my mind's a wreck. Satan's putting these thoughts into my head. And you're vulnerable and you're humble and you can go to them and they can go, all right, hold on a minute. Let me pray with you. Let me talk with you about this. Let's get through this together, right? And this is how God designed this. If you ever hear our catchphrase, Calvary Chapel, don't do life alone or together doing life right, That's what that means. Because what does Satan do when we're isolated? We're all alone, we feel all alone. What does he do? He's a liar. So if Satan speaks things into your mind and you're all alone and you can't trust or run something by somebody, what do you begin to think? You begin to believe Satan. But if you have somebody you're doing life with, another believer and you've established that accountability and that love and that trust in the church family, in the church body that holds your secrets, holds your vulnerability close to their heart. You're not doing life alone. And Satan can maybe pick off and isolate one, but he cannot do two. Because where two or more are gathered, he is in our midst. Amen? So Moses and Aaron, they get this assignment, and this is what is going on. Now, Another great reminder for us as we look at this scripture, God is in control. And I know that's a catchphrase, God is in control. And don't you love it when you you pour your heart out and you say, man, this is going on. I don't understand. They go, God's in control, brother. And you're like, I know. God is in control. But we will literally see God is in control and God is authority over all situations all circumstances that seems impossible. Do you think Moses, who has just been assigned and tasked to free the Israelites, do you think he thinks that's an impossible task? 400 years, and all of a sudden, he's gonna change things? Put yourself in his shoes. Would you doubt yourself? I would. I doubt things that have gone on for a month. And I go, I can't do anything about this. 
But God can because he can go before us. And so that's a great reminder. You see how applicational the Bible can be in these stories? We can take so much from the word of God when we meet here on Wednesday nights. So keep coming on Wednesday nights. Keep supporting these pastors that are up here teaching. Let's learn together and let's grow strong together. Amen? So, seven, chapter seven, verse one and two. He verifies to Moses, your brother Aaron will be the one who speaks for you. You will speak all that I tell you. Your brother Aaron will tell Pharaoh to let the people of Israel go. Now I want you to scoot down to Exodus chapter seven, verse four. This is interesting. I want you to underline this and pay attention. You're gonna see this in the text later on. Pharaoh, this is God speaking to Moses. Pharaoh will not listen to you. Then I will lay my hand on Egypt. And this is what I want you to underline. By great acts that will punish the Egyptians. You see, these great acts are the plagues. And he's saying right here, they will disobey me, Pharaoh will not listen, and I'm sending these plagues to punish their disobedience of not following the one and only true God. There it is. But he's also saying, He's saying it is his great acts. It's nothing Moses could do, nothing Aaron could convince somebody of. God will do all of this. Look at the rest up on the screen. I will bring out my family groups, my people, the sons of Israel from the land, Egypt, and the Egyptians will know that I am Lord when I put my hand upon Egypt and bring the people out of Israel from among them. So not only did God give Moses an assignment, but now God gives him the end result. Wouldn't you love that if God gave you the end result of what he called you to do? He like gives you the end result. And you go, okay, no matter how hard this gets, I know the end result, I can stick it out, right? And so this is, God knows this is a difficult task, but he's also saying, hey, Moses, be faithful. I will, you will see me victory in the end, right? So we see that God reassures Moses. And, and even though this task is difficult, you will see victory. Why, Moses? because I will be with you. Now, not only did the people of Egypt worship these small gods and thousands of them and goddesses, but you need to understand that there was also a worship of dark magic. There were sorcerers, there was magic, and these magicians would be called upon by Pharaoh and they would perform these miraculous things that would match or they thought that it would match the equivalence of the power of God. And this is gonna be the very first thing. There's going to be a showdown between the dark magicians and the power of God through Aaron and Moses. And this is a showdown before the first plague comes upon the Egyptians. And you'll find that in chapter seven, verse eight, if you're following along. What happens? God tells, God tells Aaron, throw down your staff, and what, is it, what happens? It becomes a snake. Well, Pharaoh's got his magicians there, dark magic. They do the same thing. They threw down their sticks, snakes were there, but what happens? Aaron's snake ate the other snakes, okay? So that's the first showdown. Now, after this showdown, the plagues come, and I want to talk to you a little bit about the plagues before we actually put them up on the screen and go through this quickly. See, the plagues, understand, are going to be a direct face-off with the gods of Egypt 
that they worship, okay? And I wish, this is where I wish I had time to break down a plague, you know, make, like once a week and to be here for the rest of your life and we'd never get out of the book of Exodus. But it's fascinating how the all-knowing God will address the gods and goddesses that they worship, that they hold up high above God and make something that they shouldn't make over God. And so I'll point out a few of those, but they're not only a face-off, but it also, these plagues will demonstrate to everyone of God's absolute power. And you will see that each plague has totally annihilated their God. God, the almighty God, is going to put to shame their gods. He wants to show them that even though you think you're worshiping powerful gods and goddesses, I will conquer them and I will show you right in front of you that you have no choice but to believe in me. You with me? And so this is what's going on. Now, there are, there's up on the screen, there are 10 plagues. And I want to tell you, there's, when, when, you look at, when you look at this, yes, there's 10 plagues. But I say, I prefer to say there's nine plagues and then the Passover. Okay? Nine plagues and then the Passover. So in essence, there are 10. These are 10 actions that God did against the Egyptians, but they celebrate Passover. I was thinking about that. The Jews celebrate Passover. You know what Passover is, right? So, so I'm like, why do they call a Passover a plague? Like, do the Jews celebrate a plague? Who wants to celebrate COVID over and over and over and over, right? So I say, in my opinion, there's nine plagues and then the Passover where the firstborn son you, you know, the darkness, you'll see that, came over and killed the firstborn son, including Pharaoh's son. Not the Israelites' son. Why? Remember they put the blood over the doorpost. Why? Because it symbolized that they believed in the one true God and what God told the people he would do, right? And so I kind of go nine plagues, one Passover, but I also, you see it on the screen, I believe that these plagues were waves of grace. You go, well, how do you come up with that? It is waves of grace. Anybody a parent? Raise your hand. Okay. Let me see where I'm at with my kids. Okay. Don't drive fast. I can see you on Life360 app. Okay, Dad. Okay. Don't drive fast. Okay, Dad. Watch on app 360, 80 mile an hour on US 1. <laughs> Comes home. Why were you doing 80 mile an hour on US 1? App 360 doesn't lie. <laughs> okay, Dad, I know. And you go over and over. And over. How many of you just, till you're blue in the face with your kids? And then when do they finally get it? When something happens and they have to deal with their consequences, right? Mom and dad don't know anything, but when they suffer consequences, do you know that I believe that God was a patient, gracious God with these plagues? You're going to see why. He warned them. He warned them. He gave them a chance. He told them what he was going to do. They had to sit on it and think on it. Guess what? He did it. See? Waves of grace. Some people look at a plague like, oh, that's an angry God. No, he's not angry. He gave them waves of grace. You might even want to write that down on the first plague. Wave of grace. You'll see why. Also, I want you to know that these plagues came in groups of three. Remember I told you there were nine? And the first, you'll see the first and second came with a warning. 
And with this warning, what was God saying when he warned the people? He was expecting them to repent. He was expecting Pharaoh to repent and let go of the slaves. And then the third plague, it came without any warning. Here's the other thing I want you to notice in the text when you go home and study this, because I, I hope that we whet your appetite enough tonight. You go home and read those chapters. Here's the other thing you're going to notice. The intensity of the plagues are going to do this. Not only is the intensity of the plagues and the suffering going to do this, but also the sovereign power of God to move the bar. Like, God, you're awesome, but when you did that, you're extremely awesome. Like, how do you pull that off in front of us, right? And so I want you to understand the intensity increases, but then the sovereignty increases, and we're going to see that as well. Now, throw all the plagues up on the, on the screen for us, and they'll leave it up there unless I take them to a passage. That way you can kind of have them. There's your nine plagues. Notice I didn't use the, the death of the firstborn in here, right? I want you to understand the first plagues are dealing with their magicians, okay? They were, they were competitive. The magicians tried to reproduce a false act with the same power, but we'll see that that goes away. And then the rest of them, I just kind of put in, in a nutshell, health, food source, food source, food source, food source, right? If we have no more gas and no food, no water, where are we, folks? <laughs> We're in trouble. And so I want you to kind of see that correlation. Now, the first plague is called the plague of blood. And, and what happened was there was this Egyptian god called Num. K-H-N-U-M, Num Num. And it was said that he was the, the guardian and the god of the Nile. And they worshiped the Nile. They worshiped water. Water is life, isn't it, when you're in a desert? And so they believed that there was a god, and he was over the Nile. He protected them. He, he supplied for them. And so that was it. Now, when, when Aaron's staff hits that Nile, the water turns to what? Blood. Guess what? The, the magicians are there and they go, watch what we do. They do the same thing. They could perform the same miracle with their dark magic, right? And it says that even now all the blood, because when they did that, they went to the wells that were already dug in, in, in the cisterns. And it says that even God turned the cisterns of water and the houses into blood. And so don't really know the details, but when they said, oh, watch what we can do, they just made matters worse. That's like watching your kids pour water down a drain during a hurricane, you know, that you bought water to survive. And they go, oh, watch this. And they pour water down. You're like, what? And so it says in the scripture, if you look in your text, these people literally, they said that they dug wells beside the Nile, hoping that you're in Florida, you ever dig for sand fleas on the beach, fishermen? And you, what do you do? You dig up and you see, and what happens? There's water there, isn't there? But you see these little sand fleas scurrying around, okay? So it's the same thing. They would dig near the Nile because they know the seepage of the water would come up. And so they tried to even do that because they were threatened that there was no water. And this counterfeit God that they're worshiping did give an attempt and the same miracle happened. Now, when you think about counterfeit power, or a counterfeit God. What would a counterfeit God look like in our lives today if we were to bring this up to 2022? Think about that. What are you trusting in that brings the same satisfaction, the same joy, the same bragging rights as the Spirit of God and a spirit of peace on your life. 
Probably not a good time to bring that up because we're going to be cheering and coming in football jerseys. But what is it for you? What do you equivalate to God that you get something out of it? And this is what God put on my heart to say, we need to be careful with that, don't we? And we all have it. We all could make something out of nothing where we literally desire that greater or that power greater than just the simplicity and the sovereignty and the power of God. The second plague is in, found in chapter 8, verse 1, if you're following the plague of the frogs. But notice in verse 1, it says, let my people go or else. See, there was a warning. This is the wave of grace. Here's a warning. Do what I say, free my people, and you won't see this. Well, obviously that didn't happen. The Egyptians, they said no. Pharaoh said no. So then here's the plague of frogs. Now here's the thing. The magicians, they were like, hey, the frog, that we worship frogs in Egypt, right? What, was, what did the frogs, frogs mate, by the way, and they reproduce very quickly. You ever hear them at night in the canals in Florida? Yeah, you hear it, right? All night long, right? But what the frog represented was fertility, and it was a goddess. And it was said to believe that the goddess had the head of a frog, and they worshiped this statue, this goddess, the god of fertility. And so God knew this, and he sends this plague of frogs, and the magicians go, we worship that god. We have power in her, and they, they produce frogs. They even, what do they do? Create a bigger disaster. When you read about it, Pharaoh's like, I'm sick and tired of these frogs. They're on my counter and in my refrigerator. Like, they're massive, and they're dirty, and they're nasty now, right? And so what does he do? He begs Pharaoh, or he begs Moses, say, hey, remove the frogs. Look at verse 8 in chapter 8. Then Pharaoh called Moses and Aaron and said, hey, pray to the Lord and take these frogs away from me and my people, and I will let the people go. Here's the problem. Moses did what Pharaoh said to do, but then Pharaoh went back on his word. And the scripture says that he hardened his heart even more. I don't know about you, but telling God's people, ambassadors, what you will do if they do something, then go back on your word. Not only are you going back on your word to Moses and Aaron, but you're going back on who? Yeah, you think God's happy with that? Not really. Look at the next plague, plague of lice. Verse 16, Aaron, put out your special stick and hit the dust of the earth and it will become lice all through the land of Egypt. Now, I want you to understand when God brought the plague of lice that came up out of the ground, here's what happened. The scripture says that it just manifested. It was thick, it was like a, it was like a cloud. Now, here's why. What did God do here? What was he saying? Well, understand the Egyptians, the priesthood of the Egyptians were extremely careful about their hygiene and cleansing when they went to worship their false gods, okay? Now, if you have lice all over you, what do we do when your kid gets sent home from school because they found lice in your kid's head, right? We all, anybody, I've been there, right? Probably all of us have been there. How does the school treat you? Get your kid now. They're sitting in the office, you know, right? Nobody wants anything to do with that. It's unclean. It's uncleanly. So what happened was they limited, because of this massive cloud of lice all over the land, it really made worship their false gods very hard to do because they weren't clean. Secondly, the lice invaded their livestock, the scripture says as well. 
I remember mad cow disease back in the 80s or 90s. I didn't have a chance to read it up, but I remember about it. Were you eating beef when that happened? Not really. Why? Because it was a disease. Well, let me ask you a question. If the cattle is infested by lice, do you want to eat it? You want to eat the meat? So God knew what he was doing. He started to attack their food supply, and it was dirty. Plus, their rituals were, they're an unclean animal. We can't eat that. They're infested with this disease from these lice. And so God knew what he was doing. And it also says in the scripture under this plague that the magicians went to Pharaoh and they were greatly concerned. And they said, this power of God is way, way powerful than our magic. And we just now realize this. So you see right now in this plague, the, the, the magicians bailed out. They said, we've served you, king. We perform these. We're in this dark magic. We believe in this God. It even says it. Read, it in, read your text. And they bail. Now, if I'm Pharaoh and the magicians bail then and there, you think, you think that maybe that's an indication that God's trying to, to gracefully talk to Pharaoh? I don't have any more magicians to prove that I'm right in my belief. I, they won't perform anything greater than God. And they're coming to me and they're saying, hey man, let it go. Let these people go. We, we believe in this. But Pharaoh's heart hardened. Next plague, plague of flies. Look at verse 20. Let my people go or else. And he gives them this warning again. Look at verse 23. This is very cool. God is cool. Is God cool? Watch what he does in verse 23. He says, I will divide my people from your people. And tomorrow you will see this happen. We see, we see and what happens is we see in this text that the Lord will protect his people. So what scripture is indicating is that's like, I don't know, what, what is Stacy and John, what's your neighborhood called across the street? San Sebastian Springs. How many houses do you have in that community? 140. You must be on the HOA to know that stuff. That is like half of your neighborhood getting attacked by biting flies. All the non-believers in God. All the believers in God, you don't see a fly in your midst. This is what God did. Isn't that an amazing miracle? How does that happen? Well, if God created everything on earth, including the insects, is he not the author of their life and what they do? God demonstrated his sovereign power over this. And this is the first time that he protected his people from these plagues that we see in the scripture. Now, how many of you are from up north? I know I asked this. Put your hands up if you're from up north. How many of you keep them up? How many of you had horses? Do you know what a horse fly is? <laughs> Have you ever been bitten by a horsefly? What happens to your skin after you've been bit by a horsefly? And you see this big bloody hole and you scratch it forever and it becomes a welt. This plague of flies, I believe, were like nasty biting flies. Ever been to a picnic outside? Florida, I don't know, for some reason, maybe the sea breeze, I don't see a lot of flies. But again, take your minds back to up north. You ever been to a picnic up north and you put food out on a picnic table? 
What lands on your food? Do you know what they say about what a fly does when it lands on your food? Or, oh, you know. How disgusting is that? My wife freaks out. She's like, cover the food. A fly can't land on that. And this is, this is what God did. He sent this plague of flies, and it's just nasty. They're painful. They bite, and they were everywhere. And what would it be like, Stacy, if you're, like, getting the phone calls from your neighbors? Where did these flies come from? Didn't we spray the canals? I thought we had it in the budget to do that. Why are they here? Kind of like mosquitoes, right? Yeah. Um, love bugs. <laughs> but you can you imagine? You go, I don't, we worship God. I don't know what you're talking about. I don't have a fly. We're not getting bit. Can you imagine what that was like? And yet the redemption of the Israelite slaves that go, yeah, our God's at work. He's working on this. And we see this sovereign miracle. Pharaoh begged Moses again to have his God call off the flies. And he said, I will let the people go. And this is the second time that he's made a request. Hey, this is enough. Call it off and I'll let your people go. Look at verse 32. What's it say? But Pharaoh made his heart what? Hard at this time. He did not let the people go. You ever seen Let's Make a Deal? Now your age is going to show. Anybody remember Let's Make a Deal? You young folks, don't worry about it. Let's make a deal. They made a deal as a contestant that they wanted to pick the door they thought the greatest prize was in, right? I think we need to be very careful, and I've done this, and I'm, I, I know you're going to relate to me. You ever been in a situation where you don't like the circumstance? Maybe you weren't even a believer. and Maybe you've said to God, God, if you do this, I will fill in the blank. Don't raise your hand. I think we've all been in that place where we've either said that to God or we've thought about making a deal with God. Maybe some of you came to the knowledge and salvation of Jesus Christ because you made that deal. The situation, circumstance was so bad that you said, God, if you rescue me from this, I'll give my life over to you. And that's okay. That's fine and dandy. God meets us where we're at. God understands us. He's perfect. We're not. But be careful that we don't get in the habit of playing let's make a deal with God. Because when you tell God something, it's probably a good idea to keep that promise with him. Or don't make it at all, right? I've learned not to make any promises because I know that I'll fail him. And we see the Pharaoh, and he is making deals with God, and he's not able to keep it because of his what? His hard heart. And I believe God is very patient. Galatians 6, 7, you see it on the screen. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from his flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. You know what I say about this? 
The alcoholic doesn't become an alcoholic overnight. The adulterer doesn't wake up that morning and say, I'm going to have an adulterous affair on my spouse. The drug addict doesn't say, I'm, I'm going to just spend my whole paycheck on drugs. And the gambler does not come home empty-handed on payday all at one time. Do you know how I think that we experience that in some of you? And, and we have been in sin and we've been encapsulated with sin in this room. That's why we're here. This is a church where sinners should be saved by grace. God has rescued us out of these lifestyles. Some of you have those testimonies. But do you know what I believe that scripture in Galatians is saying? It's saying that, listen, if you harden your heart and if you don't hear the voice of God, when he's given you these waves of grace, you will find yourself at a point where your heart is so, your heart is so hard that you can't even hear God anymore. You, you following me? And this is what we see that's happening with Pharaoh and his heart is so hard and he's lying to God and he's making deals. Next plague, plague of livestock. Simply there was sickness and disease again on the Livestock, and it comes in chapter 9, verse 1, with another warning, let my people go or else. Verse 3, the hand of the Lord will come with very bad disease on your animals. And every single livestock of the Egyptians died, but the Israelites, notice in your passage, the Israelites didn't lose not one animal in the plague. Again, sovereignty of God. I have it up on the screen, just a reminder, you know this. God will always do what he says he will do. You'd think Pharaoh would know this by now after the fifth plague. Next plague, plague of boils. Chapter nine, verse eight. Boils on man and animals is what it was. Boils are very painful. And I'll just leave it at that. <laughs> but here's something interesting. Moses stood directly in front of Pharaoh. And the scripture says that he took ashes from a stove. You're Pharaoh tonight, sorry. <laughs> and if you look at that text, look in your Bibles. Took ashes from a stove, right directly in front of, and he goes, and everybody had boils. Sovereignty of God. Ashes in the air, plague of boils, just like that. You see the intensity that God's doing here? He's not saying in any way a few days, he's like, boom, boils. There you are, suffering your boils. Verse 12, but the Lord made the heart of Pharaoh hard. What? Verse 12, chapter nine, verse 12, look at it again. You heard us. But who? The Lord made the heart of Pharaoh hard. You see, this is interesting in this text because up until this point, up until this plague, Pharaoh hardened his own heart by his own choice, by his own admission of just saying, I'm not gonna follow the true God. And after six times of hearing this, Scripture says God hardened Pharaoh's heart. And you're thinking, well, that's an unfair thing. Why would God harden his heart and then expect him to come to understanding him? Great question. Again, I have nine minutes to close this and I want to finish. Think about that. 
I'll share a little of why I believe it happens at the end. But because God hardened Pharaoh's heart, he is keeping his promise to Moses. I have it up on the screen. Exodus chapter 4, verse 21. You probably already went over this on a Wednesday night. Let me remind you. And the Lord said to Moses, when you go back to Egypt, see that you do all these wonders before Pharaoh, which I have put in your hand, but I will what? I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. Did God keep his promise? That's why you see in the scripture on this plague that God hardened his heart. Let me just say a few things. The plagues were intended and calculated in waves to chip away at a hard heart. They were, they, were, they were launched in such a way that he thought maybe Pharaoh's heart will soften. Let me ask you, have we been in a place where God allows things in our life to bring us to a total surrender to him? God has been chipping away at us, chipping away, chipping away, chipping away, trying to soften our heart through situations, through circumstances, and yet we tell God, no, my heart is hard. I love what A.W. Tozer says. It's up on the screen. Check this out. It is doubtful whether God can bless a man greatly until he has hurt him deeply. You might want to put that on the wall of your Facebook. Watch all your comments fly in. Do you see the truth in that? It's painful, isn't it? And we'll all go through this. None of us are void of this. You understand what A.W. Tozer meant by this, don't you? He says, we fight God over and over of the things in our life until we're exhausted and we finally surrender to him. What is A.W. Tozer talking about? Brokenness. He says, in order to use a man greatly, he must be broken. What is, what is the substitute for the word broken? Humility. Humbleness. Meek. Jesus was meek, but meek doesn't mean weak. Meek is strength with humility. Maybe there's somebody here tonight or listening, and you fought God until he broke you. And only then did you surrender your life to him through the brokenness. And only then could he use you greatly. And maybe you're sitting in the chairs here serving in this church or leading a Bible study and maybe you've gone through that brokenness and only you can understand what A.W. Tozer is saying because you've experienced it and you've seen God use you in a mighty way. And if you've been broken by God and you allowed him to do that to you, then rejoice in the season of him using you in a mighty way because he will do that. He will do that, I promise you. What are you fighting with God tonight? What wave of grace is he allowing in your life and you're just fighting him, can I say to you that if you keep fighting him, there will be a greater brokenness. It's inevitable. And you say, well, Pastor David, how do you know? Because I know. <laughs> I'm a recipient of that brokenness. And I'd like to tell you it doesn't ha it'll happen only once in your lifetime. It'll probably happen over and over and over. It's never easy to serve the Lord, but it's a tremendous privilege, and God... God's with you.
through that. Next plague, plague of hail. I'm going to skip over because of the time. But what I want to point out with the plague of hail, it starts out in verse 13 as a warning, let my people go or else. Verse 25, look what it says. The hail hit all that was in the field through the land of of Egypt, both man and animal. The hail hit every plant on the field and broke down every tree of the field. Only in the land of Goshen, where the people of Israel were, was there what? No hail. You see the sovereignty of God, the miracles of God. What? Here we go. Back to your neighborhood, Stacy. We're not getting bit by flies. We don't have hail damage on our roof. Why? We're believers in Jesus Christ. Now, don't say that, Stacy. <laughs> but do you see how God protects his people? We see it in the Old Testament. He, he protects his people. But let's look at verse 27. When Pharaoh sent for Moses and Aaron, he said to them, I have sinned this time the Lord is right. I and my people are guilty. Pray to the Lord for there has been enough of God's thunder and hail. Verse 34, Moses went to the Lord and the hail stopped. But verse 34, but when Pharaoh saw that the rain and hail and the thunder stopped and he sinned again and, and his servants made their hearts hard. I have it up on the screen. Point that I want you to figure out and remember is Everything we say, everything we do, we influence and impact others all around us. Notice in that verse, it says, not only did Pharaoh harden his heart, but those around him, because his heart is hardened, everybody else around him, what does the scripture say? Their heart was hardened. Be careful. Be careful. We can influence people for good, or we can influence people for bad by them watching our lives. Plague of the locusts came. The ninth plague, darkness for three days. Darkness for three days. By the way, God's Israelites, the chosen ones, didn't experience darkness either. Read your text when you go home. Always protecting. But I thought about that darkness for three days that the Egyptians experienced. Verse 23, but all the people of Israel had light in their homes. Was there electric back then? Supernatural light. Dark everywhere else. Light in the believer's home. Next time a hurricane comes, pray the blood of Jesus on your home. (laughs) Wipe out whatever you want, God, but don't wipe out your servant's house, right? You see in Scripture, that's possible. It's capable. I might pray that next time. Protect my house, Lord, right? I'm your servant. But I was thinking about the three days of darkness Did not Jesus' body lay in a tomb for three days? What happened after he rose? Death, but life was resurrected. I want you to understand the correlation here between the Old Testament and the New Testament. This is beautiful, how God has laid this out between the Old and the New. Listen, God's people were enslaved for 400 years. They didn't know it. But right here at this time, they only had three more days of slavery. Because when that darkness came to light and they put blood on their doors for the Passover, Pharaoh set them free. Think about Jesus in your life. 
we are alive because Jesus was resurrected. He is a living God and he lives in us and we're free. He who the Son sets free is free indeed, right? Next slide. Remember I told you there was nine plagues in a, in a Passover and it was the slain of the firstborn. I don't have time, but if you look in your book, Bibles, just highlight it, underline it, make a note. Read chapter 12, verse 21, and then read verse 29. And what was the end result of this final, final attempt of God's power and sovereignty to free his, free his people? It's found in Exodus chapter 12, verse 31. Told you I'd get you there. Then Pharaoh called for Moses and Aaron at night, and he said, get up and go away from my people both you and your people of Israel go and worship the Lord. I want production to put this up on the screen. What was the reason for the plagues? Here's what I wrote. Listen. The plagues are not only a demonstration of God's absolute power to the Egyptians, but also evidence of the power to the Israelite slaves as well. What do I mean by that? If you know the story, what happens after the slaves take everything and they begin their journey out into the desert, is it like party on Garth the whole time? Did they get to the promised land like next week? No. See, what I believe God was doing, yes, we saw the reason of the plagues to discipline the people to get their hearts to change, right? But I believe that there's a better purpose for these plagues, and that was to show the, Egypt, the Israelites the God that you serve, the God that has freed you, is the same God that is capable of performing miracles. I don't know who's in lineup for teaching next Wednesday or the next Wednesday, but I will say this. You will open the text, and you will see where the Israelites' backs are at the Dead Sea, and their backs are against the wall. They have enemies coming at them. And Moses is honoring God and doing what God said. And what happens? They complain. Why did you take us out of this? Why did you free us? We had it better off there. We were getting fed. We had a cot and food. We were slaves. And now look, we're going to die. And I believe that God, the purpose of the plagues was to show these, these Israelites, you saw the miracles this is the same God that will part those waters. And he was building their faith. Why was he building their faith? 400 years. Can you imagine not coming to a church service for 50 years? Let's say you're, you're 40 years old. Let's be fair. You're 40 years old. You've come to church all your life. You've grown in the Lord. You know the word. You love the Lord. And you're spirit-filled. And then someone says, you're not going to church anymore for the next 30 years. See, this is what happened to the Israelites. They were enslaved for 400 years. They heard about the God of their ancestors. They might have even thought that God forgot about them. I would. 400 years, my kids' kids and kids' kids and kids' are still enslaved. Where's that God of my descendants? And I think God was showing them, I am that God that you've heard about the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God that keeps his promises, the God that just freed you, and the God that will be with you forever and ever.
and ever. And this is why I believe there was a purpose for the plagues. The Red Sea, not the Dead Sea. Throw up the last slide. What's the takeaway tonight as you leave here? God is a God of love, a God of grace, a God of second, third, fourth, eighth, and ninth chances. We see that in Scripture tonight, don't we? But I do want to say one thing. There's a clear warning from this Scripture. We also dealt with a hard heart. Proverbs 29.1 warns us very carefully about God tolerating a hard heart for only so long. Listen what it says. He who is often rebuked and hardens his neck will suddenly be destroyed and that without remedy. Romans 1.32 says, who knowing the judgment of God that they which commit such things are worthy of death not only do the same, but have the pleasure in them that do them. When we look at the life of Pharaoh's heart in, in these five, six, seven chapters, whatever we covered, I think it's really important that we be very careful that we don't harden our heart to the things of God. When waves of grace come into our life, let's take advantage of it. Amen? Amen. God is a God of many chances, but let us not harden our hearts and challenge that grace. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this teaching tonight. We thank you for these people that are here for you and you alone. They're thirsty and they're hungry for the word of God. Change their hearts. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for being here. Thank you for just pouring into them and making the Old Testament, the book of Exodus, come alive for us. The word does not fall void. Thank you for what you're doing in this place. And it's in Jesus' name and everyone's name. Thank you for listening to the Calvary Chapel Sebastian podcast channel. If this message impacted your life, we encourage you to share it with a friend. We're located at 1251 Sebastian Boulevard, just northeast of intersection 90th Avenue and State Road 512 in Sebastian, Florida. Our service times are Saturday evening at 6 p.m., Sunday morning at 1045 a.m., and Wednesdays at 630 p.m. Welcome to Calvary Chapel Sebastian Podcast. We hope that you're blessed by this message. We welcome everybody listening to us on the podcast channel, and I've got some great news. I just got a call from production. If you missed a weekend, you can now go to our website, and you can hear our weekend teachings by any of us, our pastors. So go on there, check it out, and uh, enjoy that. That's great news, and just another way that we can get out into the community here as we continue to change some things here. But welcome if you're listening to us, whether you're on the website or on the podcast, and we're glad that you're here. Turn to chapter uh, Exodus chapter 6, and the title of the teaching tonight is Purpose for Plagues. Purpose for Plagues. You ever think about that, church? Now, now maybe some of you never encountered the story of the, the plagues, uh, and maybe some of you really know a lot about the plagues or some of the plagues, but this will be a great refresher. We're going to go very quickly. I wish I could have broken it down plague by plague because there is so much to glean when you look into the Word of God, but we'll go a quick review, quick overview of this. But what was the purpose of of plagues. Because if you're thinking about plagues, you're thinking pandemic, 
This is totally different, okay? This is, this is something that God intentionally sent to the Egyptians because Pharaoh was not following God. And you know that Pharaoh had the Israelites enslaved for how many years, Bible study people? 400 years, right? And so it is time for God to free his chosen people, the Israelites, but Pharaoh is mighty and powerful and he's over the whole entire uh, uh, community, uh, Egypt. And he has, you have to understand the backdrop with this story is that the Egyptians did not worship the one true God. They worshiped many gods, thousands of gods, gods, little g gods, little g goddesses, and everything was represented. If you're drinking a cup of coffee, they worship, there's probably a god over the coffee. There was god over, and you know, some of us build an idol in that. Who knows? You know, we like our coffee. But they worshiped these gods and they would not acknowledge God. And so this is what we're dealing with, okay? And let's just be honest. Pharaoh was building a mighty city, and who did he use to build it? God's people, right? And so what is the purpose of plagues? Is it to punish mankind? Is it, can God punish us now? Is that what he's into? Like, hey, I'm bored. Let's punish my Christians. Because after all, they were his chosen people, weren't they? And you're like, well, they lived in Egypt. So when he punished Egypt, wouldn't it be like they're all being punished? Kind of like if you get pulled over in a car. Do you ever get pulled over for driving fast? Don't answer that. You're in church. <laughs> and if you're driving too fast and Sebastian's finest pulls you over, who else suffers that stall and delay in where you're going? Your family, if they're with you, right? And so this is what you're thinking about this story. It's like, well, God's people were there and he's enforcing all these plagues on them. But you're going to see that in the midst of adversity, in the midst of him sending these plagues, we're gonna see how powerful and how spectacular and sovereign our God is because he is going to protect the people. We'll see that and I'll point that out for you. So are you excited for tonight's study? This is gonna be good. But I do, I do say drink your coffee, we're gonna go through fast, all right? I wanna pick up where Pastor Craig left off last week and it's up on the screen, it's found in Exodus Six And I believe that by the end of the study, we're going to answer what is the purpose for the plagues. That's what I want to answer. And hopefully the scripture will show us this so that we can walk away knowing. Now in Exodus 6, 6, it says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Now you will see what I will do to Pharaoh. Because of my mighty hand, he will let them go. Because of my mighty hand, he will drive them out of his Country. So what is going on here? God is having a conversation with Moses. This is what God is saying to Moses. This is the promise that God is going to say to Moses, like, I'm calling you to do something, and this is what I will do in the midst of your assignment. And so God knows who Pharaoh is. God knows his power. God knows that he's not following him. But also, God is reminding Moses in this 6-6, six, six, he's saying, hey, I'm a bigger God. I've got this, Moses. You don't have to worry. And you see that Moses goes back and forth. He's like, why should I go to the Pharaoh? I stutter, and he gives all these excuses. And God's like, hold on a minute. I'm gonna take, you're going to go with, Aaron's going to be with you this whole assignment, right? And I was thinking about that. What did Jesus do when he sent the disciples out? He sent them in what? Two by two. 
And so it's really cool how you see this reference of Jesus sending his disciples out two by two, and we go all the way back to the Old Testament where he sends Moses and Aaron. And he says, you're going to accomplish mighty works because I'm with you and I'm empowering you, and you're gonna do it in twos. What about you tonight? Are you doing life alone? Do you have somebody in this church body that you love, trust, and would give your life over for? Do you have somebody that you can call up at 2 a.m. and go, my mind's a wreck. Satan's putting these thoughts into my head. And you're vulnerable and you're humble and you can go to them and they can go, all right, hold on a minute. Let me pray with you. Let me talk with you about this. Let's get through this together, right? And this is how God designed this. If you ever hear our catchphrase, Calvary Chapel, don't do life alone or together doing life right, That's what that means. Because what does Satan do when we're isolated? We're all alone, we feel all alone. What does he do? He's a liar. So if Satan speaks things into your mind and you're all alone and you can't trust or run something by somebody, what do you begin to think? You begin to believe Satan. But if you have somebody you're doing life with, another believer and you've established that accountability and that love and that trust in the church family, in the church body that holds your secrets, holds your vulnerability close to their heart. You're not doing life alone. And Satan can maybe pick off and isolate one, but he cannot do two. Because where two or more are gathered, he is in our midst. Amen? So Moses and Aaron, they get this assignment, and this is what is going on. Now, Another great reminder for us as we look at this scripture, God is in control. And I know that's a catchphrase, God is in control. And don't you love it when you pour your heart out and you say, man, this is going on, I don't understand. They go, God's in control, brother. And you're like, I know. God is in control. But we will literally see God is in control and God is authority over all situations all circumstances that seems impossible. Do you think Moses, who has just been assigned and tasked to free the Israelites, do you think he thinks that's an impossible task? 400 years, and all of a sudden, he's gonna change things? Put yourself in his shoes. Would you doubt yourself? I would. I doubt things that have gone on for a month. And I go, I can't do anything about this. But God can because he can go before us. And so that's a great reminder. You see how applicational the Bible can be in these stories? We can take so much from the word of God when we meet here on Wednesday nights. So keep coming on Wednesday nights. Keep supporting these pastors that are up here teaching. Let's learn together and let's grow strong together. Amen? So. Seven, chapter 7, verse 1 and 2. He verifies to Moses, your brother Aaron will be the one who speaks for you. You will speak all that I tell you. Your brother Aaron will tell Pharaoh to let the people of Israel go. Now I want you to scoot down to Exodus chapter 7, verse 4. This is interesting. I want you to underline this and pay attention. You're going to see this in the text later on. Pharaoh, this is God speaking to Moses. Pharaoh will not listen to you. Then I will lay my hand on Egypt, and this is what I want you to underline, by great acts that will punish the Egyptians. You see, these great acts are the plagues. 
And he's saying right here, they will disobey me. Pharaoh will not listen. And I'm sending these plagues to punish their disobedience of not following the one and only true God. There it is. But he's also saying, he's saying it is his great acts. It's nothing Moses could do, nothing Aaron could convince somebody of. God will do all of this. Look at the rest up on the screen. I will bring out my family groups, my people, the sons of Israel from the land of Egypt, and the Egyptians will know that I am Lord when I put my hand upon Egypt and bring the people out of Israel from among them. So not only did God give Moses an assignment, but now God gives him the end result. Wouldn't you love that if God gave you the end result of what he called you to do? He like gives you the end result. And you go, okay, no matter how hard this gets, I know the end result, I can stick it out, right? And so this is, God knows this is a difficult task, but he's also saying, hey, Moses, be faithful. I will, you will see me victory in the end, right? So we see that God reassures Moses, and, and even though, this task is difficult. You will see victory. Why, Moses? Because I will be with you. Now, not only did the people of Egypt worship these small gods and thousands of them and goddesses, but you need to understand that there was also a worship of dark magic. There were sorcerers, there was magic, and these magicians would be called upon by Pharaoh and they would perform these miraculous things that would match or they thought that it would match the equivalence of the power of God. And this is gonna be the very first thing. There's going to be a showdown between the dark magicians and the power of God through Aaron and Moses. And this is a showdown before the first plague comes upon the Egyptians. And you'll find that in chapter seven, verse eight, if you're following along. What happens? God tells, God tells Aaron, throw down your staff, and what, is it, what happens? It becomes a snake. Well, Pharaoh's got his magicians there, dark magic. They do the same thing. They threw down their sticks, snakes were there, but what happens? Aaron's snake ate the other snakes, okay? So that's the first showdown. Now, after this showdown, the plagues come, and I want to talk to you a little bit about the plagues before we actually put them up on the screen and go through this quickly. See, the plagues, understand, are going to be a direct face-off with the gods of Egypt that they worship, okay? And I wish, this is where I wish I had time to break down a plague, you know, make, like once a week and to be here for the rest of your life and we'd never get out of the book of Exodus. But it's fascinating how the all-knowing God will address the gods and goddesses that they worship, that they hold up high above God and make something that they shouldn't make over God. And so I'll point out a few of those, but they're not only a face-off, but it also, these plagues will demonstrate to everyone of God's absolute power. And you will see that each plague has totally annihilated their God. God, the almighty God, is going to put to shame their gods. He wants to show them that even though you think you're worshiping powerful gods and goddesses, I will conquer them and I will show you right in front of you that you have no choice but to believe in me. You with me? And so this is what's going on. Now, there are, there's up on the screen, there are 10 plagues 
And I want to tell you, there's, when, when, you look at, when you look at this, yes, there's 10 plagues, but I say, I prefer to say there's nine plagues and then the Passover, okay? Nine plagues and then the Passover. So in essence, there are 10. These are 10 actions that God did against the Egyptians, but they celebrate Passover. I was thinking about that. The Jews celebrate Passover. You know what Passover is, right? So, so I'm like, why do they call a Passover a plague? Like, do the Jews celebrate a plague? Who wants to celebrate COVID over and over and over and over, right? So I say, in my opinion, there's nine plagues and then the Passover where the firstborn son you, you know, the darkness, you'll see that, came over and killed the firstborn son, including Pharaoh's son. Not the Israelites' son. Why? Remember, they put the blood over the doorpost. Why? Because it symbolized that they believed in the one true God and what God told the people he would do, right? And so I kind of go nine plagues, one Passover, but I also, you see on the screen, I believe that these plagues were waves of grace. You go, well, how do you come up with that? It is waves of grace. Anybody a parent? Raise your hand. Okay. Let me see where I'm at with my kids. Okay. Don't drive fast. I can see you on Life360 app. Okay, Dad. Okay. Don't drive fast. Okay, Dad. Watch on app 360, 80 mile an hour on US-1. <laughs> Comes home. Why were you doing 80 mile an hour on US-1? App 360 doesn't lie. <laughs> okay, Dad, I know. And you go over and over. And over. How many of you just, till you're blue in the face with your kids? And then when do they finally get it? When something happens and they have to deal with their consequences, Right? Mom and dad don't know anything, but when they suffer consequences, do you know that I believe that God was a patient, gracious God with these plagues? You're going to see why. He warned them. He warned them. He gave them a chance. He told them what he was going to do. They had to sit on it and think on it. Guess what? He did it. See? Waves of grace. Some people look at a plague like, oh, that's an angry God. No, he's not angry. He gave them waves of grace. You might even want to write that down on the first plague. Wave of grace. You'll see why. Also, I want you to know that these plagues came in groups of three. Remember I told you there were nine? And the first, you'll see the first and second came with a warning. And with this warning, what was God saying when he warned the people? He was expecting them to repent. He was expecting Pharaoh to repent and let go of the slaves. And then the third plague, it came without any warning. Here's the other thing I want you to notice in the text when you go home and study this, because I, I hope that we whet your appetite enough tonight. You go home and read those chapters. Here's the other thing you're going to notice. The intensity of the plagues are going to do this. Not only is the intensity of the plagues and the suffering going to do this, but also the sovereign power of God to move the bar, like, God, you're awesome, but when you did that, you're extremely awesome. Like, how do you pull that off in front of us, right? And so I want you to understand the intensity increases, but then the sovereignty increases, and we're gonna see that as well. Now, throw all the plagues up on the, on the screen for us, and they'll leave it up there unless I take them to a passage. That way you can kind of have them. There's your nine plagues. Notice I didn't use the, the death of the firstborn in here, right? I want you to understand the first plagues are dealing with their magicians, okay? They were, they were competitive 
the magicians tried to reproduce uh, a false act with the same power, but we'll see that that goes away. And then the rest of them I just kind of put in, in a nutshell, health, food source, food source, food source, food source, right? If we have no more gas and no food, no water, where are we, folks? <laughs> We're in trouble. And so I want you to kind of see that correlation. Now, the first plague is called the plague of blood. And, and what happened was there was this Egyptian god called Num, K-H-N-U-M, Num, Num. And it was said that he was the, the guardian and the god of the Nile. And they worshiped the Nile. They worshiped water. Water is life, isn't it, when you're in a desert? And so they believed that there was a god and he was over the Nile, he protected them, he, he supplied for them, and so that was it. Now, when, when Aaron's staff hits that Nile, the water turns to what? Blood. Guess what? The, the magicians are there and they go, watch what we do. They do the same thing. They could perform the same miracle with their dark magic, right? And it says that even, now all the blood, because when they did that, they went to the wells, that were already dug in, in, in the cisterns. And it says that even God turned the cisterns of water and the houses into blood. And so don't really know the details, but when they said, oh, watch what we can do, they just made matters worse. That's like watching your kids pour water down a drain during a hurricane. You know that you bought water to survive. And they go, oh, watch this. And they pour water down. You're like, what? And so it says in the scripture, if you look in your text, these people literally, they said that they dug wells beside the Nile, hoping that you're in Florida, you ever dig for sand fleas on the beach, fishermen? And you, what do you do? You dig up and you see, and what happens? There's water there, isn't there? But you see these little sand fleas scurrying around, okay? So it's the same thing. They would dig near the Nile because they know the seepage of the water would come up. And so they tried to even do that because they were threatened that there was no water. And this counterfeit God that they're worshiping did give an attempt and the same miracle happened. Now, when you think about counterfeit power, or a counterfeit God. What would a counterfeit God look like in our lives today if we were to bring this up to 2022? Think about that. What are you trusting in that brings the same satisfaction, the same joy, the same bragging rights as the Spirit of God and a spirit of peace on your life. Probably not a good time to bring that up because we're going to be cheering and coming in football jerseys. But what is it for you? What do you equivalent to God that you get something out of it? And this is what God put on my heart to say, we need to be careful with that, don't we? And we all have it. We all could make something out of nothing where we literally desire that greater or that power greater than just the simplicity and the sovereignty and the power of God. The second plague is in, found in chapter 8, verse 1, if you're following the plague of the frogs. But notice in verse 1, it says, let my people go or else. See, there was a warning. This is the wave of grace. Here's the warning. Do what I say, free my people, and you won't see this. Well, obviously that didn't happen. The Egyptians they said no, Pharaoh said no, so then here's the plague of frogs. Now here's the thing. The magicians, they were like, hey, the frog, that we worship frogs in Egypt, right? What, was, what did the frogs, frogs mate, by the way, and they reproduce very quickly. You ever hear them at night in the canals 
in Florida. Yeah, you hear it, right? All night long, right? But what the frog represented was fertility, and it was a goddess. And it was said to believe that the goddess had the head of a frog, and they worshiped this statue, this goddess, the god of fertility. And so God knew this, and he sends this plague of frogs, and the magicians go, we worship that god. We have power in her, and they, they produce frogs. They even, what do they do? Create a bigger disaster. When you read about it, Pharaoh's like, I'm sick and tired of these frogs. They're on my counter and in my refrigerator. Like, they're massive, and they're dirty, and they're nasty now, right? And so what does he do? He begs Pharaoh, or he begs Moses, say, hey, remove the frogs. Look at verse 8 in chapter 8. Then Pharaoh called Moses and Aaron and said, hey, pray to the Lord and take these frogs away from me and my people, and I will let the people go. Here's the problem. Moses did what Pharaoh said to do, but then Pharaoh went back on his word. And the scripture says that he hardened his heart even more. I don't know about you, but telling God's people, ambassadors, what you will do if they do something, then go back on your word. Not only are you going back on your word to Moses and Aaron, but you're going back on who? Yeah, you think God's happy with that? Not really. Look at the next plague, plague of lice. Verse 16, Aaron put out your special stick and hit the dust of the earth and it will become lice all through the land of Egypt. Now, I want you to understand when God brought the plague of lice that came up out of the ground, here's what happened. The scripture says that it just manifested. It was thick. It was like a, it was like a cloud. Now, here's why. What did God do here? What was he saying? Well, understand the Egyptians, the priesthood of the Egyptians were extremely careful about their hygiene and cleansing when they went to worship their false gods. Okay, now if you have lice all over you, what do we do when your kid gets sent home from school because they found lice in your kid's head, right? We all, anybody, I've been there, right? Probably all of us have been there. How does the school treat you? Get your kid now, they're sitting in the office, you know? Right, nobody wants anything to do with that. It's unclean, it's uncleanly. So what happened was they limited, because of this massive cloud of lice all over the land, it really made worship their false gods, very hard to do because they weren't clean. Secondly, the lice invaded their livestock, the scripture says as well. I remember mad cow disease back in the 80s or 90s. I didn't have a chance to read it up, but I remember about it. Were you eating beef when that happened? Not really. Why? Because it was a disease. Well, let me ask you a question. If the cattle is infested by lice, do you want to eat it? You want to eat the meat? So God knew what he was doing. He started to attack their food supply. And it was dirty. Plus, their rituals were, they're an unclean animal. We can't eat that. They're infested with this disease from these lice. And so God knew what he was doing. And it also says in the scripture under this plague that the magicians went to Pharaoh and they were greatly concerned And they said, this power of God is way, way powerful than our magic. And we just now realize this. So you see right now in this plague, the the magicians bailed out. They said, we've served you, king. We perform these. We're in this dark magic. We believe in this God. It even says it. Read it. Read your text. 
and they bail. Now, if I'm Pharaoh and the magicians bail then and there, you think, you think that maybe that's an indication that God's trying to, to gracefully talk to Pharaoh? I don't have any more magicians to prove that I'm right in my belief. I, they won't perform anything greater than God. And they're coming to me and they're saying, hey man, let it go. Let these people go. We, we believe in this. But Pharaoh's heart, hard next plague, plague of flies. Look at verse 20. Let my people go or else. And he gives them this warning again. Look at verse 23. This is very cool. God is cool. Is God cool? Watch what he does in verse 23. He says, I will divide my people from your people. And tomorrow you will see this happen. We see, we see, and what happens is we see in this text that the Lord will protect his people. So what scripture is indicating is, that's like, I don't know, what, what is Stacy and John, what's your neighborhood called across the street? San Sebastian Springs. How many houses do you have in that community? 140. You must be on the HOA and all that stuff. That is like half of your neighborhood getting attacked by biting flies, all the non-believers in God. All the believers in God, you don't see a fly in your midst. This is what God did. Isn't that an amazing miracle? How does that happen? Well, if God created everything on earth, including the insects, is he not the author of their life and what they do? God demonstrated his sovereign power over this. And this is the first time that he protected his people from these plagues that we see in the scripture. Now, how many of you are from up north? I know I asked this. Put your hands up if you're from up north. How many of you keep them up? How many of you had horses? Do you know what a horse fly is? <laughs> Have you ever been bitten by a horse fly? What happens to your skin after you've been bit by a horse fly? And you see this big bloody hole and you scratch it forever, and it becomes a welt. This plague of flies, I believe, were like nasty, biting flies. Ever been to a picnic outside? Florida, I don't know. For some reason, maybe the sea breeze, I don't see a lot of flies. But again, take your minds back to up north. You ever been to a picnic up north, and you put food out on a picnic table? What lands on your food? Do you know what they say about what a fly does when it lands on your food? Or Oh, you know. How disgusting is that? My wife freaks out. She's like, cover the food. A fly can't land on that. And this is, this is what God did. He sent this plague of flies, and it's just nasty. They're painful. They bite, and they were everywhere. And what would it be like, Stacy, if you're, like, getting the phone calls from your neighbors? Where'd these flies come from? Didn't we spray the canals? I thought we had it in the budget to do that. Why are they here? Kind of like mosquitoes, right? Yeah, um, Love bugs. <laughs> but you can imagine, you go, I don't, we worship God. I don't know what you're talking about. I, I don't have a fly. We're not getting bit. Can you imagine what that was like? And yet the redemption of the Israelite slaves that go, yeah, our God's at work. He's working on this. And we see this sovereign miracle. Pharaoh begged Moses again to have his God call off the flies. And he said, 
I will let the people go. And this is the second time that he's made a request. Hey, this is enough. Call it off, and I'll let your people go. Look at verse 32. What's it say? But Pharaoh made his heart what? Hard at this time. He did not let the people go. You ever seen Let's Make a Deal? Now your age is going to show. Anybody remember Let's Make a Deal? You young folks, don't worry about it. Let's make a deal. They made a deal as a contestant that they wanted to pick the door they thought the greatest prize was in, right? I think we need to be very careful, and I've done this, and I'm, I, I know you're going to relate to me. You ever been in a situation where you don't like the circumstance? Maybe you weren't even a believer. And maybe you've said to God, God, if you do this, I will fill in the blank. Don't raise your hand. I think we've all been in that place where we've either said that to God or we've thought about making a deal with God. Maybe some of you came to the knowledge and salvation of Jesus Christ because you made that deal. The situation, circumstance was so bad that you said, God, if you rescue me from this, I'll give my life over to you. And that's okay. That's fine and dandy. God meets us where we're at. God understands us. He's perfect. We're not. But be careful that we don't get in the habit of playing let's make a deal with God. Because when you tell God something, it's probably a good idea to keep that promise with him. Or don't make it at all, right? I've learned not to make any promises because I know that I'll fail them. And we see the Pharaoh and he is making deals with God and he's not able to keep it because of his what? His hard heart. And I believe God is very patient. Galatians 6, 7, you see it on the screen. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from his flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. You know what I say about this? The alcoholic doesn't become an alcoholic overnight. The adulterer doesn't wake up that morning and say, I'm going to have an adulterous affair on my spouse. The drug addict doesn't say, I'm, I'm going to just spend my whole paycheck on drugs. And the gambler does not come home empty-handed on payday all at one time. Do you know how I think that we experience that? And some of you, and, and we have been in sin, and we've been encapsulated with sin in this room. That's why we're here. This is a church where sinners should be saved by grace. God has rescued us out of these lifestyles. Some of you have those testimonies but you know what I believe that scripture in Galatians is saying? It's saying that, listen, if you harden your heart and if you don't hear the voice of God when he's given you these waves of grace, you will find yourself at a point where your heart is so, your heart is so hard that you can't even hear God anymore. You, you following me? And this is what we see that's happening with Pharaoh and his heart is so hard, and he's lying to God, and he's making deals. Next plague, plague of livestock. 
Simply, there was sickness and disease again on the livestock. And it comes in chapter 9, verse 1, with another warning, let my people go or else. Verse 3, the hand of the Lord will come with very bad disease on your animals. And every single livestock of the Egyptians died, but the Israelites, notice in your passage, the Israelites didn't lose not one animal in the plague. Again, sovereignty of God. I have it up on the screen, just a reminder, you know this. God will always do what he says he will do. You'd think Pharaoh would know this by now after the fifth plague. Next plague, plague of boils. Chapter nine, verse eight. Boils on man and animals is what it was. Boils are very painful. And I'll just leave it at that. (laughs) But here's something interesting. Moses stood directly in front of Pharaoh. And the scripture says that he took ashes from a stove. You're Pharaoh tonight, sorry. And if you look at that text, look in your Bibles. Took ashes from a stove right directly in front of, and he goes, and everybody had boils. Sovereignty of God. Ashes in the air, plague of boils, just like that. Do you see the intensity that God's doing here? He's not saying in any way a few days, he's like, boom, boils. There you are, suffering your boils. Verse 12, but the Lord made the heart of Pharaoh hard. What? Verse 12, chapter 9, verse 12, look at it again. You heard us. But who? The Lord made the heart of Pharaoh hard. You see, this is interesting in this text because up until this point, up until this plague, Pharaoh hardened his own heart by his own choice, by his own admission of just saying, I'm not going to follow the true God. And after six times of hearing this, Scripture says God hardened Pharaoh's heart. And you're thinking, well, that's an unfair thing. Why would God harden his heart and then expect him to come to understanding him? Great question. Again, I have nine minutes to close this, and I want to finish. Think about that. I'll share a little of why I believe it happens at the end. But because God hardened Pharaoh's heart, he is keeping his promise to Moses. I have it up on the screen. Exodus chapter 4, verse 21. You probably already went over this on a Wednesday night. Let me remind you. And the Lord said to Moses, when you go back to Egypt, see that you do all these wonders before Pharaoh, which I have put in your hand, but I will what? I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. Did God keep his promise? That's why you see in the scripture on this plague that God hardened his heart. Let me just say a few things. The plagues were intended and calculated in waves to chip away at a hard heart. They were, they were, they were launched in such a way that he thought maybe Pharaoh's heart 
will soften. Let me ask you, have we been in a place where God allows things in our life to bring us to a total surrender to him? God has been chipping away at us, chipping away, chipping away, chipping away, trying to soften our heart through situations, through circumstances, and yet we tell God, no, my heart is hard. I love what A.W. Tozer says. It's up on the screen. Check this out. It is doubtful whether God can bless a man greatly until he has hurt him deeply. You might want to put that on the wall of your Facebook. Watch all your comments fly in. Do you see the truth in that? It's painful, isn't it? And we'll all go through this. None of us are void of this. You understand what A.W. Tozer meant by this, don't you? He says, we fight God over and over of the things in our life until we're exhausted and we finally surrender to him. What is A.W. Tozer talking about? Brokenness. He says, in order to use a man greatly, he must be broken. What What is the substitute for the word broken? Humility. Humbleness. Meek. Jesus was meek, but meek doesn't mean weak. Meek is strength with humility. Maybe there's somebody here tonight or listening, and you fought God until he broke you. And only then did you surrender your life to him through the brokenness. And only then could he use you greatly. And maybe you're sitting in the chairs here serving in this church or leading a Bible study And maybe you've gone through that brokenness and only you can understand what A.W. Tozer is saying because you've experienced it and you've seen God use you in a mighty way. And if you've been broken by God and you allowed him to do that to you, then rejoice in the season of him using you in a mighty way because he will do that. He will do that, I promise you. What are you fighting with God tonight? What wave of grace is he allowing in your life? and you're just fighting him, can I say to you that if you keep fighting him, there will be a greater brokenness? It's inevitable. And you say, well, Pastor David, how do you know? Because I know. <laughs> I'm a recipient of that brokenness. And I'd like to tell you it doesn't ha- it'll happen only once in your lifetime. It'll probably happen over and over and over. It's never easy to serve the Lord but it's a tremendous privilege and God, God's with you through that. Next plague, plague of hail. I'm gonna skip over because of the time. But what I wanna point out with the plague of hail, it starts out in verse 13 as a warning, let my people go or else. Verse 25, look what it says. The hail hit all that was in the field through the land of, of Egypt, both man and animal. The hail hit every plant on the field and broke down every tree of the field. Only in the land of Goshen, where the people of Israel were, was there what? No hail. You see the sovereignty of God, the miracles of God. What? Here we go. Back to your neighborhood, Stacy. We're not getting bit by flies. We don't have hail damage on our roof. Why? We're believers in Jesus Christ. Now, don't say that, Stacy. <laughs> But do you see how God protects his people? We see it in the Old Testament. He, he protects his people. But let's look at verse 27. 
when Pharaoh sent for Moses and Aaron, he said to them, I have sinned this time. The Lord is right. I and my people are guilty. Pray to the Lord for there has been enough of God's thunder and hail. Verse 34, Moses went to the Lord and the hail stopped. But verse 34, but when Pharaoh saw that the rain and hail and the thunder stopped and he sinned again and, and his servants made their hearts hard. I have it up on the screen. Point that I want you to figure out and remember is everything we say, everything we do, we influence and impact others all around us. Notice in that verse, it says, not only did Pharaoh harden his heart, but those around him, because his heart is hardened, everybody else around him, what does the scripture say? Their heart was hardened. Be careful. Be careful. We can influence people for good, or we can influence people for bad by them watching our lives. Plague of the locusts came. The ninth plague, darkness for three days. Darkness for three days. By the way, God's Israelites, the chosen ones, didn't experience darkness either. Read your text when you go home. Always protecting. But I thought about that darkness for three days that the Egyptians experienced. Verse 23, but all the people of Israel had light in their homes. Was there electric back then? Supernatural light. Dark everywhere else. Light in the believer's home. Next time a hurricane comes, pray the blood of Jesus on your home. <laughs> wipe out whatever you want, God, but don't wipe out your servant's house, right? You see in Scripture, that's possible. It's capable. I might pray that next time. Protect my house, Lord, right? I'm your servant. But I was thinking about the three days of darkness. Did not Jesus' body lay in a tomb for three days? What happened after he rose? Death, but life was resurrected. I want you to understand the correlation here between the Old Testament and the New Testament. This is beautiful how God has laid this out between the old and the new. Listen, God's people were enslaved for 400 years. They didn't know it, but right here at this time, they only had three more days of slavery. Because when that darkness came to light and they put blood on their doors for the Passover, Pharaoh set them free. Think about Jesus in your life. We are alive because Jesus was resurrected. He is a living God, and he lives in us, and we're free. He who the Son sets free is free indeed, right? Next slide. Remember I told you there was nine plagues in a, in a Passover, and it was a slain of the firstborn. I don't have time, but if you look in your book, Bibles, just highlight it, underline it, make a note. Read chapter 12, verse 21, and then read verse 29. And what was the end result of this final, final attempt of God's power and sovereignty to free his, free his people? It's found in Exodus chapter 12, verse 31. Told you I'd get you there. Then Pharaoh called for Moses and Aaron at night, and he said, get up and go away from my people both you and your people of Israel go and worship the Lord. 
I want production to put this up on the screen. What was the reason for the plagues? Here's what I wrote. Listen. The plagues are not only a demonstration of God's absolute power to the Egyptians, but also evidence of the power to the Israelite slaves as well. What do I mean by that? If you know the story, what happens after the slaves take everything and they begin their journey out into the desert, is it like party on Garth the whole time? Did they get to the promised land like next week? No. See, what I believe God was doing, yes, we saw the reason of the plagues to discipline the people to get their hearts to change, right? But I believe that there's a better purpose for these plagues, and that was to show the the Israelites the God that you serve, the God that has freed you, is the same God that is capable of performing miracles. I don't know who's in lineup for teaching next Wednesday or the next Wednesday, but I will say this. You will open the text, and you will see where the Israelites' backs are at the Dead Sea, and their backs are against the wall. They have enemies coming at them, and Moses is honoring God and doing what God said. And what happens? They complain. Why did you take us out of this? Why did you free us? We had it better off there. We were getting fed. We had a cot and food. We were slaves. And now look, we're going to die. And I believe that God, the purpose of the plagues was to show these, these Israelites, you saw the miracles This is the same God that will part those waters. And he was building their faith. Why was he building their faith? 400 years. Can you imagine not coming to a church service for 50 years? Let's say you're you're 40 years old. Let's be fair. You're 40 years old. You've come to church all your life. You've grown in the Lord. You know the word. You love the Lord. And you're spirit-filled. And then someone says, you're not going to church anymore for the next 30 years. See, this is what happened to the Israelites. They were enslaved for 400 years. They heard about the God of their ancestors. They might have even thought that God forgot about them. I would. 400 years, my kids, kids, and kids, kids, and kids are still enslaved. Where's that God of my descendants? And I think God was showing them, I am that God that you've heard about the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God that keeps his promises, the God that just freed you, and the God that will be with you forever and ever and ever. And this is why I believe there was a purpose for the plagues. The Red Sea, not the Dead Sea. Throw up the last slide. What's the takeaway tonight as you leave here? God is a God of love, a God of grace, a God of second, third, fourth, eighth, and ninth chances. We see that in Scripture tonight, don't we? But I do want to say one thing. There's a clear warning from this Scripture. We also dealt with a hard heart. Proverbs 29.1 warns us very carefully about God tolerating a hard heart for only so long. Listen to what it says. He who is often rebuked and hardens his neck will suddenly be destroyed and that without remedy. Romans 1.32 says, who knowing the judgment of God that 
they which commit such things are worthy of death, not only do the same, but have the pleasure in them that do them. When we look at the life of Pharaoh's heart in, in these five, six, seven chapters, whatever we covered, I think it's really important that we be very careful that we don't harden our heart to the things of God. When waves of grace come into our life, let's take advantage of it. Amen? Amen. God is a God of many chances. But let us not harden our hearts and challenge that grace. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this teaching tonight. We thank you for these people that are here for you and you alone. They're thirsty and they're hungry for the word of God. Change their hearts. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for being here. Thank you for just pouring into them and making the Old Testament, the book of Exodus, come alive for us. The word does not fall void. Thank you for what you're doing in this place. And it's in Jesus' name and everyone said. Thank you for listening to the Calvary Chapel Sebastian podcast channel. If this message impacted your life, we encourage you to share it with a friend. We're located at 1251 Sebastian Boulevard, just northeast of intersection 90th Avenue and State Road 512 in Sebastian, Florida. Our service times are Saturday evening at 6 p.m., Sunday morning at 1045 a.m., and Wednesdays at 630 p.m.